This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have back on Josh Kinzer. So uh, Josh is the the founder of Swagger Bipods. And so I've had Josh on before. Uh, it's just super interesting, like a uh, uh, military veteran. So he's got some great stories there and then lives in Texas, hunts a bunch with his kids, hunts a bunch for himself, and then hunts Western games. So uh, told a story of um, harvesting a bull last year in Montana, but just a great back and forth. And um, man, he's like uh, really opened my eyes. Like I need to start paying more attention to the moon phases. And so he did a great job of describing it to me and what I should pay attention to. So some great information there. So really enjoyed today's conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it too. We'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Swagger Bipod. So we talk a bit about it in this episode, not a whole bunch, but it is just the best bipods made. So they make different sizes. Uh, they're spring tension loaded. Uh, you're able to swivel on the bipod. You can get a prone shot, a sitting shot, kneeling shot, different heights. And then if you don't like a bipod attached to your rifle, you can get a quick detach. Uh, so basically you can have it ride in your pack or in a holster and then attach it when you get ready for that moment of truth. Uh, they also have shooting sticks. Uh, if you guys are in the market, go check them out over at swagger.com. I also want to thank Onyx. Onyx has changed the way that I scout and hunt. Uh, if these guys knew how many hours I spent on their app, they would probably charge me more money. Uh, but it is just such a great app for scouting, building a hunt plan for during the hunt in real time. Uh, they have aerial imagery, they have uh, a topography, and then they have a combination of both. Uh, so I use this for tracking, uh, use it for my runs. They have a great new feature where if you hit the compass and then you hit the range finding button, uh, you can actually get a distance. So what this is good for is like when you have a deer bedded, you can range that deer bedded and then you know how many yards he is. You click the compass, that'll point you in the right direction. And so then you can mark on your on X exactly where that deer is that you're stalking. So this is a great new feature that I'll be using a bunch on on X. Uh, and you guys can check that out as well as everything they offer. And thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank our new sponsor, Juniper Mountain Coffee. Uh, really pumped to be partnering with these guys. Their roasts are absolutely unreal. So their roasts, they don't just buy from a coffee vendor uh, or a middleman. They actually go down to Panama and they deal directly with the farmers to get the absolute best roast. So they've got a couple different roasts. They've got a dark and a medium. Uh, they also have a bourbon roast. And a bunch of new products to come out. In fact, I'm going to try their new cold brew that comes in a can. But just really excited to partner with these guys as they're from Eastern Oregon. They're Western hunters and supporters of the podcast. And um, really pumped to have these guys on board. So go check them out over at Juniper Mountain Coffee Company. I also want to thank Black Ovis. 
Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. I love these guys' game bags. I think they're the best game bags made. They're uh, red. They've got a reflective tape on them that you can hit with a flashlight that'll glow. Uh, they're also just a really durable, good size bag. So uh, pumped on those. Uh, they have their own name brand, which is good quality gear, and that goes for clothing. Uh, I've seen their sleeping bags are really good, so you can go check those out. They also carry all the top name brands. And you can go save yourself 10% by using the promo code uh, ELEVATED10 at checkout. And um, yeah, 10% is... Um, really helps out with that hunting gear for sure. So make sure to go use that promo code. Also want to thank Camo Fire. Uh, Camo Fire is an app that has 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. You can save a pile of money on overstock gear. So check that out as well. Uh, thanks to Eastman's for all their support. Uh, go check out uh, my other podcast I do with Dan Bacar, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Life of a Bow Hunter. Uh, it's on a separate feed that you have to search for. Uh, really pumped how those episodes are coming out. Uh, there's uh, nine of them now. There's nine of them now available if you go search it. So some some other good listening for you. That's great in depth bow hunting content. So check that out. Uh, over at uh, Tag Hub, we have our Tag Hub 2.0, uh, it has, which has a new mapping system, 3D imagery. Uh, it's really new and improved. Uh, you can also get a deal on Swagger. So we're giving away a Swagger bipod if you sign up for that now for Eastman's Tag Hub. So it's a great tool. I use it to research for all my tags and all my hunts. Also check out that mule deer course that Dan Bacar and I and uh, Guy Eastman put together. We have it uh, promo code right now. If you put in Brian MDC, it'll save you 10% and it'll get you some of those Black Ovis bags I was telling you about and also an outdoor edge knife. So check that out as well. And with that, let's get into this podcast. It's a good one with Josh Kinzer, founder of Swagger Bipods. Uh, he's a, a diehard hunter, a great Western hunter, and some great tidbits in this podcast. So let's get into it. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Man, I, honestly, um, it's it's been busy this spring. I, I, I got to go turkey hunting in South Dakota a couple weeks ago, and then... Um, I went to Oklahoma for the Buck Ventures Pro Staff Summit, and so I've been driving a lot and traveling a lot lately, um, but, you know, we had a good deer season, and, oh, and actually, um, a couple weeks ago, Dan uh, Picard and his wife came down and did some hog hunting at the ranch. Um, they wanted to get one with a bow. Oh, right on. I didn't even hear about that. Yeah, Dan didn't even mention it the last time we had <laughs> talked, but, um, man, that sounds like fun. Yeah, he, um, you know, he had these grand designs of bow hunting and whatnot. But we got, man, we got so much rain. Um, so there were ticks everywhere. The mosquitoes were horrible. And, you know, the weekend that they get there, it, it, the heat goes up to like right at 90. Um, so they ended up having to kill a pig with a thermal at like midnight. You know, it's just, it's the way, when, when it's hot like that, pigs don't have sweat glands. Um, and and so they just don't move until it cools off. Um, 
it's you know the life of being a pig. <laughs> it, um, it seems like on uh, the majority of these hunts, like uh, it's not only the place you're hunting or the time of year. Like it seems like a lot of it is just timing, isn't it? And it sounds like Dan's timing was off a bit with the heat <laughs> and then the bugs and things. But you just make the best out of it and hunt hard, and that's all you can do. And sounds like he brought home some um, pig meat, anyways. Right. I mean, it it is. It's like, um. From the years of planning, you know, whether it had been uh, wounded hunts that I was doing in, in my past, you know, jobs or, you know, taking kids whose dads were killed out to, and then to filming TV and whatnot. Man, I don't just look at the calendar anymore. I I, I look at moon phases first and then I go, you know, what, what's open? Um, it, it's It saves me a lot of time and to this day still people are like oh well this is the only weekend i got off and i mean yeah if that's it i'm not saying don't go go hunting but i'm talking about like when i'm actually planning a, a hunt um especially when it comes into filming right it, it, it's costing us money to to be there uh, um, it, it's costing us cameramen it's costing so you want to do it as efficiently as possible um and, and I think that applies to anybody that hunts, right? I mean, yeah, I'm talking about it from a business, from a P&L standpoint. Um, yeah, and same thing. Like, so I don't know. I didn't mean to go down this tangent, but, <laughs> you know, if so if I'm bow hunting, if we're going to film a bow hunt, you know, I, I've got a plan that that's probably going to take a few more days than a rifle hunt. Um, and, and so I like to look at that and, and go, okay, what do we got going on here moon-wise? Um you know, that I can help alleviate some bad hunting days if possible. Um, and, and so then the same thing sort of happened with the weather. I was telling Dan, I was like, cause it, you know, South Texas, yeah, everybody thinks that we're, we're more of the desert and, but we're not. That's, that's more West Texas. South Texas is, is very hot. We get a predominant wind coming off the Gulf. And then when it rains, we basically turn into like Costa Rica. And, um, you know, so what happens, you know, you kill an animal generally as it's moving from from bedding to food. And when it rains and there's beans falling off of every thorny bush, they got breakfast in bed. So there's not much movement period. And I, I was t this is how I kind of equated it to Dan. You know, have you ever gotten a, a archery elk tag? And it, the only week you could hunt was like the first week. And you're like, that's all right. I'm going to, I'm going to hunt water holes. You know, they're going to come into these water holes and then it rains and there's a water hole everywhere you look, it, you know, so that, that's kind of what, what happened with Dan. But, um, you know, like I said, he, he wanted to get down anyway. We knew it was going to be a painful weekend. Uh, I think, you know, they just needed, they had a weekend where they had somebody that could watch the kids and, they got a big old adventure of chasing snakes and catching catfish and doing a whole lot of other fun stuff uh, outside of just, just hog hunting. Man, Josh, it's so true. Uh, when planning any of these hunts, if your timing is off, you you just um, uh, you're you're gonna fight it the whole time, and you might not even have a chance of success. And so, like you are planning ahead, I'm the same way. As it's um, it's so crucial to time the elk rut, or uh, to try to time the weather, or the muley rut, or whatever the case is. 
like you're just trying to find the the best time to go hunt them because when you time it right it's absolute magic but when you time it wrong it's like you you can hardly find an animal and don't have a a chance at success so like i'm interested the 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 moon phases I have never paid much attention to it, and I know oh, you white-tailed really? guys are dialed into the moon. But me, for Western hunts, I don't even look at the moon phases. I don't pay any attention. Like, I notice a full moon, yes, that they feed longer at night, less active during the day. But then if it's overcast, there's no moon anyways. And so it's kind it's kind of like I know there's something to it, but yeah, I almost treat it like hocus-pocus over the years. So how do you dial in those moon phases no. for your hunts? Um, I'll look at a multitude of different things because, you know, a lot of it's just these estimates, right? Um, I, I like Adam Hayes's moon guide and, and he talks about the red moon. And, and one of the things that Adam talks about is it's not so much like what you said, it's overcast. It's not so much about moonlight, like we think about in the military, right? So we would go, okay, we know on a, on a full moon, it's going to be bright out and there's going to be bad guys trying to put bombs in the road, right? We know that that's not really what happens with deer as much as it's like a cycle. Um, and I mean, you know, when you when there's a full moon, you have crazy dreams. Uh, the full moon drags the ocean back and forth across the earth like it's got a pull to it. And generally speaking, um, you know, you had to get Adam to talk for about moon guide or whatever. But when it's the moon underfoot. It's that pull, and I, I mean, I, I tell this to people who go, oh, it's all bull crap, you know, moon doesn't do this. And, and it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not a foolproof, it's just another tool to help you. Uh, but if you drive out in the middle of the day and deer are in a field where they're not supposed to be at 1 o'clock and it's 82 degrees, if you look at that moon guide, it'll match up generally. Um, so... It's not like I said. It's not just about the uh, the light that it provides at night. Uh, I mean that that can be, but I mean, you know, if it's if it's cloudy and and it's a full moon, you know, I can look on trail cameras and I can see the deer out there. I can I can match that up. Um, and so, you know, all I'm saying in the point of this conversation is if you've only got a week to hunt, um, whether it be elk or or whatever, I personally over the years have looked at that moon and let it help me make a decision about which week I want to hunt. Ah, interesting. So, well, and I know, you know, I've, I've definitely read things about like emergency rooms and more active during the full moon. Like they get more calls, more weird calls. And, and like you said, the moon is the whole reason that we have tides in the ocean and it affects tides and affects the bite. So, I mean, it only makes sense. These, these animals, these ungulates are so tapped into their environment and so tapped in to nature, almost more so like us humans have lost a piece of that almost. But like you say, the crazy dreams, the ER visits, things of that nature. So, I mean, there's there's definitely something to it. And when you have those random occurrences where you see deer out in the field when they're not supposed to be out in the field at one o'clock or active when they're not supposed to be active, like, you know, yeah, that can be a random occurrence, but when you see it over and over and over again, like pretty soon it starts to make sense and you start to base hunts on it. So like, um, uh, I definitely think you're smart for looking at that. I'll have to look up, uh, Adam Hayes's moon guide. So 
like uh, just for the layman that hasn't paid any attention to the moon. Like I, I tend to pay attention to dates more so than moon. And, you know, it doesn't always line up exactly in each spot on that date. But within a couple right. days, it seems to be that activity level I'm looking for. So if I'm planning a hunt, how would I factor the moon into it? Do you like a, a, a waning moon? Do you like leading into the full moon, a full moon, zero moon? Like what are you looking for when you're planning a hunt? I'm looking for the move the the prime moving periods to be during general hunting time like you know first couple hours in the morning first couple hours first last hours at night and so you 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 were talking about kind of the animals how they all work together you'll see me if we're we're hunting whitetail and and it's the afternoon I don't feel good until I hear that first coyote wake up, right? Because deer wake up and they get on their feet. We don't have a way to tell the deer unless we see them moving. But I generally, the the moment I hear that first coyote wake up, they go, Woo, you know, call out. You hear a little bit of leap and then boom, it's just deer, 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 deer. And it's like they're all bunny rabbits, quail, everything seems to all be moving. So like just an example, okay, I just pulled up the guide and we're talking about like so it's been a full moon uh what do we have the full moon on for for my area like uh, i guess it's gonna be the fifth friday so if we look right now prime movement periods for uh today are 12 17 a.m and 11 55 a.m so it's telling me that that's going to be a lot of deer moving at night and then maybe a little bit in the day because the heat's going to damper them down. But so I get to Wednesday of next week and prime movement periods are 5.52 a.m., 6.23 p.m. And then it gets into a 7.52 a.m., 8.19 p.m. So based upon this, if I was planning my hunt, I would choose next week. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. And and you're getting those prime movement times off Adam Hayes' chart, or are you using an app, or how are you figuring out yeah. what the best movement times are? His his chart. But, you know, um, I, I don't know. Does Onyx have I, – I, oh, HuntStand has uh, movement times that are pretty similar. Uh, but, but Adam preaches the red moon uh, days or the days where there's a red moon um are the days that you want to be in the woods hmm yeah i know um so i was down in australia hunting and i was hunting uh, a red uh -huh. deer down there in sandbar and the guys i was hunting red deer i was in this great camp and these guys they live eat sleep and breathe red deer like they've lived for it for the last 20 years and they you know they're hunting the roar and on these red deer is an amazing experience but they they were using this app that was like – and it kind of looked like almost a little bit hokey to me. But, you know, that's that's my own ignorance of not paying attention to the moons over the years. Like I'm sure there's something to it. Like I just need to pay more attention. But they had it – they had like an outdoors app. I can't even remember what it is. I got to shoot those guys uh -huh. a text. But it would – they would look at it. 
and it would have the best times to hunt, which I believe right. were tied to the moon phase. Maybe it was tied to baromic pressure as well. But, you know, I'm thinking now, like, they didn't say it was tied to the moon phase. They just had an app, and it showed them the movement times and when the best activity was. And and they would they would look at it and and confirm their suspicions, or they'd see some some deer in a in a weird spot when red deer shouldn't be moving, and say, oh, look at the app. The best movement times were today at ten o'clock. So I'm right. sure that that app is tying into those moon phases, and it's like, yeah, once or twice is a coincidence, but when it keeps happening over and over, and like you said, it's not fail safe or or fail proof. It's just like. It's another thing that you can dial in, and, and now I get what you're saying. So when they say the the best movement times in the middle of the day, 11 to 1, like, yeah, the moon is pulling these animals to get up and move around. But in the same breath, it's like middle of the day, it's hot, they're not in the feeding features. So you're just not going to see the movement as much pull from that moon as you would if the prime moving time is in the morning or in the evening. So, yeah, that's starting to make sense. But like it, it's you know I, with anything I, I I don't I'm not telling you if it's not a red moon day or if it's not but you know don't don't not don't not hunt you know or, or actually I said that wrong but go out and hunt still if you got we always joke about trail cameras right I, I hear in in the whitetail guys I mean I know this is more of a Western audience but you'll hear a lot of whitetail guys be like oh nothing's showing up on camera. I swear trail cameras have saved more deer because it's given somebody an excuse not to hunt. <laughs> and so I'm not telling you don't use the moon as an excuse. Use it as a tool. But um, I, I think back, there was a hunt. We had John Collins from Fox Pro down. Uh, he's, he was with a different – he was a tooth and claw then, but he's with Fox Pro now. And uh, came down in mid-December for, for what was supposed to be a really fun rut whitetail hunt, rattling them in and all that. It hit 92 degrees on three different days in mid-December for us. It was horrible. And that week, we knew that it wasn't going to be great moon-wise because it was the the movement periods were going to be in the middle of the day and in the middle of the night. And so there was something going on in the border, and there was all this, like, illegal activity, and there there were uh, F-35s and F-18s flying over the ranch in the middle of the day, every day for like hours. I mean, just woof, sonic boom over and over. It's horrible. So I looked at it one day. And I was like, guys, we're not seeing stuff in the morning and evening. It's lining up to the moon time. We got to go out. We got to eat a sandwich and go out at one. And it's 92 degrees. Shouldn't get a white tail. We went out, rattled up a buck in 35 minutes, shot it. That is wild. We had been struggling for days not seeing anything and and so um you know i i uh, like i kind of saw the same thing in montana this year I, I went i had a combo tag and um i got my elk open in morning and it, it was it was i mean I, I i think it took 25 minutes we were just in the right place at the right time right so then the rest of the week i'm spending my time um hunting mule deer and the way it lined up you know, if you went down and you found some fields or, or pivots you'd yeah you'd see you'd see mule deer bucks in there but they all took off before it was legal to shoot them and the way the moon was lining up was like you know noon and 
I saw more mule deer bucks midday, rain, sleet, or snow than I did in any of those hours. Now, I didn't get one, but, um, of course, I, I run into, like, three mule deer bucks fighting. I was uh, I had to help Tyler from Weatherby go pack out his bull with Ken Byers. So I go over there, but I'm on a section. When you cross the road on that section, you have to have a secondary draw tag to shoot a so on the on the uh, east side of the road, I can shoot a mule deer buck. On the west, I can't uh, with my general tag. So I'm over there helping them pack out a bull, and I run into three bucks fighting that are all huge, you know. And and then the one big big buck just kind of watched the fight and then took the doe <laughs> and let the other three fight. But <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was a hundred yards from that, and I couldn't. I mean couldn't find a mule deer buck in the morning or evening man um yeah i definitely need to dial that in a little bit more josh and like you say it's not going to stop me from going out on a morning hunt or uh an evening hunt or something of that nature but it it may just um it, it may swing the odds in my favor if i see that movement as is at 11 or 12 because a lot of times when i'm hunting these early season mule deer and their alpine behavior you know they're up in these alpine basins and they'll get up more throughout the day and feed and so like it gives me an idea that okay like if the movement is is at middle of the day instead of taking it easy at camp and waiting for the evening i'm just going to jump on a vantage point if it says that they're if the moon says they're supposed to to move i'm going to look middle of the day and just see if i can if i can get like another opportunity or if i can start to prove those moon phases where i can buy into them a little bit more but that's really interesting and um and, man, and you'll hear you'll hear people i mean this there's skeptics out there who just look for any way to to sort of shoot it all down right i mean it's but there's there's a lot of things where it's carryover where western hunters can teach whitetail hunters in the southeast a whole lot and and there's things vice versa that that you kind of can learn i mean i i you could go out in the woods with an old squirrel hunter and be like man i wonder how i can apply that to my elk hunt um and and so i i think yeah there's there's differences where where you're up on your feet a little bit more. You're doing different things. You know, old uh, Sam Davis used to give me a hard time when I'd be hunting with him in Wyoming. And I'd be like looking in all the draws and be like, oh, you swamp rat hunter. We're not looking for whitetails. We're looking for mule deer hunters. Like, you know, because I'm looking in the draws and he's looking up on the, you know, three, one quarter of the way down from the top of the hill. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think moon phases are, are, are big big part of my hunt planning i'd i'd suggest you throw it in your tackle box yeah absolutely well and you're 100 percent right you can learn something from everybody i i really like that sam davis too he's a heck of a western hunter heck of a bow hunter um but yeah, yeah. you're 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 um you're 100 percent right you can learn stuff and implement it into your own hunting and into your own species and yeah we can learn so much from the whitetail hunters because those those whitetails are so switched on and they're so good at living in in a small habitat you know next to houses or next to a ranch or next to a barn and these big mature bucks you never see them you know they're so good at at, at being able to move undetected in these areas and so yeah to be able to dial those in i mean uh, it, it, it's actually ignorant if I don't pay attention to it because these whitetail guys are so dialed into these moon phases and whitetail movement. And just like you said 
earlier, like with the coyotes, when they start to howl the deer on their feet, that these animal species are tied into each other. And it makes me think of like, like fishing when I'm, when I'm catching whitefish, which isn't my target species, you know, the trout are also going to be eating those same bugs. Like it gives me right. a clue mm-hmm. into what they're eating. Same thing with the coyotes. And so same thing with these whitetail guys that you guys dial in these moon phases when they're on their feet. Uh, uh, I would think that it would apply to this Western game the same. And like you say, it's just like something else in my tackle box. I don't need to put all my weight into the moon phase and, and bank everything on this movement. But it's definitely something that I can pay attention to and create another opportunity where I might be successful. So, uh, man, that's really interesting. You learn something every day. And part of life, like whether it's hunting or business or whatever it is, uh, it is being a student of the game. It's like taking in this information, you know, and then being able to implement it into your own hunting or your own business. And, um, gosh, I think that's what makes the world go round and keeps us improving. So, uh, man, I appreciate I appreciate the explanation of it too i'm definitely going to pay more attention to it oh yeah cool and it's um you know some of these whitetail bucks that that we go after they they almost i say they make very few daylight mistakes um you know coming out and feeding or going after a you know a lady uh chasing a, a, a doe those as they get older, they only make a couple of those daylight mistakes. So lining yourself up it, it, to be in that position is just, it's, it's helpful. Um, but I, I think anybody, we've all go, gone hunting out there when you're sitting there and you're like, there is not a bird, a rabbit, anything moving. Um, and those are the, the hunts I just would I try to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> That's me too. Again, like down to to timing. Yeah, and boy, if you time a hot ride, it's magic. But if you time it wrong, you're just like uh, you're swimming against the current. You know, it's like uh, almost like Mission Impossible at times. So it's so true. Uh, well, good. I'm glad you made it up to Montana, uh, able to get that elk out of the way real quick, get the meat on the table, able to shoot a nice bull. Uh, yeah, he, he, you know, um, we're in an area where it wasn't, it's not like known for, for real good trophy bulls or, you know, so I was out there looking for a mature bull. Um, and, and there was, there was so many, there were guys like hunting down below and you could hear the shots. And so when, when that started happening, we were up in the hills and you could see the bulls coming and it was, it was happening so fast. And, I was going to have to shoot in this window. Um, so it wasn't, it was like, okay, that's a mature bull. That's a good bull. We're sticking with it. And honestly, when I, when I got to it, um, man, I, it was a lot bigger body than I was expecting. He, he was a bit of an older bull that might even been past his prime. Um, but man, it was, so we woke up at like two 30 in the morning to hike, all the way up at this this place uh, to be up really really high, and it's like 45 degrees and raining, you know, just to like a light mist. So when when we get set up, I have to kind of run over and shoot. It's like a 350 yard shot, and I'm just I've got a 300 Weatherby, um, which we we had uh, Weatherby had brought for this hunt the uh, the new Mark V backcountry, so it's light as light as crap, you know. Um, and, and then I just had our QD 42. So I'm just kind of sat in a, on a seated position waiting for this bull to come. And 
as I'm sitting there, like, you know, I've got my knees up and I've kind of got my elbows on and I'm waiting for this bull to come across. And, and he's about 10 yards back behind the herd. And I felt this like really cold wind all of a sudden on my ear. And I was like, Ooh, now the, what the weather said is it was going to start snowing that night at like 8 PM. Right. So this is like 8 AM. We're still supposedly hours away from this snow. But I felt that cold wind, and I started getting cold sitting there, and I was like, good God, temperature is dropping. So I shoot the bull, um, and I'm, I'm going to go put a second shot in him, and I watch him roll over. So we get up, high fives. By the time I walked the 350 yards, now now granted, I had to go down this, this ravine and up, right? So let's say it, it was a half a mile walk. It was 25 degrees and snowing by the time I got there. <laughs> Man, that and, weather can just change on a dime in Montana, can it? it dude, it was, and you know, every the the mountains are just these big piles of granite, so it'd been raining for hours, so ev- every bit of that water just froze. So everything's covered in ice, all the granite, everything, and then snow is just coming down so hard. Like I lost my backpack twice while I was, you know, deboning the elk. Couldn't just like, oh, where's my backpack again? And it was pouring snow. <laughs> and I actually, I'm still dealing with some issues. I dislocated my shoulder um, getting the elk meat out. So um, our, our other guys, Tyler from Weatherby and, and Nate, were hunting on the other, other ridge. Well, they kind of quit hunting because the fog came in. When, when we got the snow, fog came in on them so hard that they couldn't see. So they were just like, we got to go somewhere else to hunt. We can't even, you know, we can't see 20 yards. So, um, I was trying to get the meat bags over to a ridge and I tied a blaze orange cause it, the, the visibility was so bad. I was like, they're not going to see us. Um, so I slipped and I kind of put my shoulder down and you know, I slipped on that ice and I was like, Oh man, I kind of jammed the shoulder up. No big deal. You know? And, um, so later I had two meat bags and had the head and we were going down uh, this pretty steep thing. And I slipped and man, I jammed it and I just felt it come out like it, you know, I landed on it and it, it was popped up. Well, uh, I didn't go out hunting that afternoon. I, I decided to let those guys and I was going to cook and I was just like, man, I got I can't lift my arm. I got to do something. So I just drank three beers real quick and then slammed it into the door jam and it popped back in the socket. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I, I'm in this like little, uh, you know, just a little trailer, you know, a sleeping trailer. And I must have been shaking it, but I just laid down. I saw stars and just laid down on my back for about 15 minutes. But it's still it's giving me a little issue. I'm getting old, man. But um, I got to go see somebody about it. It's it's starting to hurt. It's not going away. Man, that's gnarly. That stuff happens so quick, like you say, with the ice. And, um, you know, the human body has this amazing ability to heal itself, but it takes so much time. And a shoulder is something that you're always using. And so it just doesn't get time to heal. I mean, you'll have to see what's going on with it for sure. But, um, you know, it just seems like when I, it, you know, if I hurt something or get an injury, like a lot of times it's months and I'll start feeling better and then I'll do something and then it'll start to hurt again, you know, but yeah. Well, and I, 
I have an old, it hasn't bothered me until now, but I have a type two acromium in there from probably the worst combat injury. It's the grossest one that I received in Iraq. I still get shivers. So anybody that's put on night vision, there's no depth. Um, it's just, it's just green and black. And, and so sometimes you run into things and you trip <laughs> because you don't have any depth perception. So we were, uh, this was the first time I was in Iraq and we were attached to a tenth group and we were doing a lot of raids, uh, just kidnapping people at night, you know, and, um, a couple of us are supposed to go around back and climb this fence, this wall. It's not a fence. It's like a mud wall. And I look down and I'm like, okay, that's like a four foot drop. I got it. I'm just going to jump. You know, it's going to be, I'm, I'm wearing full combat load. So it's going to jar me. But what I was seeing was the top of grass that was about six feet tall. Oh. And it, it kind of went off. So I land and just like, whoom and slam. And it, I did kind of the same thing I did to my shoulder, jammed it up, but then I rolled. And anybody who's been in Iraq, uh, knows one of the grossest smells and things you find a lot of times is there's not a sewer system, but there's just these in the village, a low point where all of the sewage and rot of everything collects into a pond. So I, I hit rolled and went right into it. Like I was completely covered up to my neck of just, yeah. I mean, I I think I, there was like a floating dead dog, some cabbage in there. Just, oh, yeah, it was this gross stuff. Oh, so I, anyway, I think those plumbers have it bad. That is gnarly, Josh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, oh my gosh. And I we, had this skin rash for like it was probably like four years. the The first part, like of my hip, knee, and elbow, where it touched that stuff, it was in probably submerged the most oh. yeah i had like this rash that took me you know forever to we've got on some weird tangents this morning. <laughs> we have that is so gnarly oh my gosh uh yeah that is gnarly uh, well you know it seems like some of these old injuries like they pop up as we start getting age on us too i know <laughs> You know, just like some wrestling injuries that I've had with my back or my neck or like the left side, you know, on the side of my spine between my shoulder blade. It's just like this touchy spot for me that if I do anything wrong, like it'll irritate it, you know, and it doesn't go out as bad as it as it used to, you know, through stretching and strength training. It's definitely better. But, yeah, you just develop these injuries and then they can pop up again, like when you're on an elk hunt or take a spill. Uh, but man, that is so gnarly. So, uh, uh, back to the, to the hunt a bit, you said, um, you were using that QD 42. So that's that, that swagger disconnect 42 inch bipod, um, 350 yard shot, which, you know, in today's day and age, uh, guys that, that shoot this long range, including you, you know, you get really proficient at those ranges, but that is still no easy shot out West in uneven terrain. And to be really proficient at those ranges, like the 300, 400, 500 ranges, man, you got to spend a lot of time behind your rifle. But I always say like, um, uh, accuracy with the rifle comes down to your rest. And so, that QD 42, is that what you're using for most of your Western hunts? And a 42 means you can probably shoot from your butt or from your knees, but can't shoot standing. Does that seem like the, the right bipod for guys out West? 
I, no, uh, I, it's what I think it comes down to preference. Okay. Um, for for me personally, so I was using uh, Ken Byers and them that they 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 had their setup. So I was I was basically driving up to Montana and using, you know, it was a deal we had with Weatherby and and I was using their guns. Um, me personally, I like the Hunter twenty nine. Um, I know it's attached to my rifle, but for Western hunting. That product, you know, you can go from a prone position to a seated position. And, um, you know, I always want to shoot prone. I say it over and over again, but oftentimes the terrain doesn't allow me to do it. And, yeah, you know, I had somebody we, – we had a, a video on Facebook a couple of months ago that John Collins from Fox Pro nails this, like, coyote running at 370 yards. Amazing shot. You know, somebody's like, Whoa. I shoot 500, 600, like it's nothing off of a bench with sandbags. You do that like, right. So the range is a great thing to get your rifle dialed in and practice fundamentals, but shooting at a bench rest is not going to prepare you for shooting in the field. And in, in the military, we always say train as you fight. And I can't tell you how many times you get, I've been in a hunting situation where either I'm guiding or I'm with somebody and they, they've got a $2,000 rifle and a thousand dollar scope or, you know, maybe even more. And they've never shot this gun or practice shooting off of a bench rest at the range. And I mean, I don't know of any bench rests out in Colorado and Montana that are just <laughs> sitting on the top of a, a mountain. So building your shooting position around that and not having floating elbows and all that is what you've got to do. And of course it helps it. An elk is like the size of a Volkswagen bug, um, you know, and has big lungs. And but you still, you know, aim small, miss small. Um, I, I I've said it on podcasts before, but we used to have the same problem, um, sort of with archery. Um, okay, so we're going to be we don't really have trees in South Texas to put stands, so you know, you're if you're archery hunting, you're going to be shooting out of a pop up blind set set down and. You get guys all the time that show up and have never shot a bow sitting down. Well, it's a lot different. You know, it's it's probably not as great of a difference as shooting off of a bench rest with a a, a lead sled or sandbags and all that versus, you know, trying to build a shooting position in the field. But it's different. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I mean – you know, generally speaking, out west because of the in, in parts of the west, you're going to have to have a longer shot because of the open terrain. Um, and the only way you get good at that stuff is by practicing. Oh, a hundred percent, Josh. Man, I love hearing you, uh, uh, military guys, like talk about shooting and shooting positions as like you know you're you're. Your life counted on it for so many years that you're so proficient at it and learn how to become a really good shot. So you're spot on. I mean, everything, the shooting with the bow at the seating position, I think it is similar. Like you lose your base from your knees or from your legs. It's totally different to shoot accurately from sitting down and something you have to practice. And same thing with shooting, you know, these guys get their rifles dialed in and shoot off that bench rest accuracy but probably the best thing you can do for your shooting after you get your rifle dialed is practicing your shooting positions like shooting you know just like you stated you know you you know practice how you play and so like guys don't practice getting in these shooting positions and and yeah 
um, prone is the best shooting, the most stable shooting position. It's where everybody wants to shoot from. But that's tough when you're in the mountains and you got high grass and hillsides yeah. and trees. Like you don't always get it. And I see some of these guys that are setting up for a shot on an animal and they can't figure out a shooting position on the hillside. They just can't even, they can't even compute it or get into a shooting position to shoot this animal and they'll waste five, 10 minutes. And by the time they finally get in a comfortable position or you finally get them set up, the animal's gone. So this is like this, this skill set that the guys really need to work on and and sometimes you know guys get lackadaisical with a rifle and they just sight it in and they go walk around and they think they're going to shoot any big critter that comes out and that's just not the case like you have to work on those shooting positions and run rounds through your rifle and um uh you know and even at 350 to be able to to dope in the wind i mean that's the key to that long shooting is the variables you know but yeah that shooting position is so important you know and so uh, like you talked about, the best thing you can do before your hunt is to be running shells through your rifle, but getting into those shooting positions, practicing your prone, but not only your prone on the back of the tailgate of your truck, like practicing that prone in the mountains, laying on a hillside, shooting uphill and shooting downhill, and then getting in your, your seated position and being able to lock your elbow to your knee or being able to put your pack behind your back elbow along with the the bipod or the shooting sticks up front and finding this stable position uh same thing with uh you know i think i think you were saying out west you you like to use the the 129 that's mounted the, the to... hunter the hunter 29 yeah because because that way like you you have it the ability to shoot in the prone but like okay so a couple of years ago south dakota there was like there's a mule deer buck I'm getting ready to shoot and he's at 110 and I'm getting on him and he's chasing a doe. Like he goes straight up and he's at 405 in 10 seconds. And I was like, you know, I could probably make this shot, but I'd prefer to go prone, drop the legs. Boom. All of a sudden I was on prone and that would take in any other scenario that would take two products. Um, but you know, some of this practicing and getting in these shooting positions, you know, you could do them in your living room. You don't have to go to a range to, to get, you know, I, I make the kids do it. And, um, it, it just it, watching them do it quickly in the field. Now I know is a product of their practice. It's not, it, it doesn't just, you know, if you, you, if you, when you add stress to a situation like that, you're, you know, it just multiplies everything. And, and I, I think about, I mean, I've told this story a lot of times, but when I first got into the military, you know, going through basic training, um, we we went to the range and learned how to shoot two ways. Prone supported, prone unsupported. And we shot out of foxholes. Like, that was the majority. Now, foxholes also help keep people deflated and, and safety at the range and whatnot, but we didn't learn anything else. And then all of a sudden... Right before we go to Iraq, I was I had like three months between basic training and going to Iraq. They're they're like, well, we're in, in an urban combat situation, which is completely different. Bringing your weapon up, uh, acquiring the target, the stances, it's all different. And this is stuff that special forces and everybody was doing years and years and years prior. But the big army wasn't. And there were people, leaders that were flipping out and pissed off. Like, why are we learning to do this? This isn't what we do. And. 
that's all we did in Iraq. Like, guess what? I never dug a foxhole ever and <laughs> shot out of it. Um, and, and so, you know, you have to apply the, the different things, you know, like you, you see some of these like three gun shooters and, and that's a different set of skills. I can't just go jump into a three gun competition if I haven't done it. Um, you know, and, and same thing with like leading a, I tell you, I'm not a great shotgun shooter. Like I'm not bad, but man, I get around guys that can shoot quail and skeet and dove like way better than I can. And they shoot, they, they, they go to sporting clays and they, they, they practice and I don't, and they're better than me, but I know one way I can get better. It's just, I don't sell bird on a lot. I don't duck on a lot. Man, that's so it. Uh, I love what you said, having your kids practice in your living room or in the yard. We also do like a lot of uh, dry fire practice. Uh, mm -hmm. It also helps with acquiring the target. You see hunters that don't hunt as much or don't have as much experience with the rifle, and they can't find the animal in their scope a lot of times. You know, acquiring that target is such a huge deal as well. And I, I like um, – I also like that you guys have a product that you can shoot standing. It's like when I hunt like the, the open badlands, uh, whether that's the Dakotas or eastern Montana, where that is, it's fairly open, and uh, there's high sage out there in a lot of places mm -hmm. and ungulation to the hillsides. And so I hunt with a lot of family out there, whether it's my daughters or my dad or my uncles and cousins that will come over from Washington. Like we hunt out there a bunch, and – Boy, if you have um, short shooting sticks, you're just almost handicapping yourself. It's like you've got to be able to also shoot from a standing position. And now each shooting position you shoot from, like uh, uh, you can't shoot as far from a standing as you can from a sitting. Right. You can't shoot a sitting as far as you can shoot a prone. And part of that is shooting live rounds and learning what your capabilities and limitations are. But I tell you, it is a game changer to be able to shoot from a standing position on a lot of these close shots on these mule deer just because there are you know so many uh, 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 so much sage or so many things that are blocking from getting a prone shot so I think it's important to like practice all these shooting positions before you go out and there is nothing more crucial on a hunt like sure you've got to find the animals and you you got to put in the miles you've got to hunt hard you got to be good at glassing like there's all these skill sets that go into being a complete hunter but the best thing you can do for yourself is spending time with that rifle and being proficient and being able to capitalize on an opportunity and like you said um you know stress in a situation uh uh you know and people like to think they rise to the occasion and it's just not true like you fall back to your training yes. <laughs> in those high stress situations and in fact like i think about archery like my worst arrow in the group is probably going to be the arrow that i shoot in an animal and even though those elk are big targets like also they're the toughest animal on planet earth and so you have to put a real precise shot on them you know and so you you have to aim and put a good shot on these critters and be able to anchor them but it doesn't just come naturally or rising to the occasion it like you fall back to your practice and so you you have got to spend time with your rifle leading into a hunt it's the best thing you can do for yourself yeah and i i get guys all the time it's like they think they're going to turn into captain america when <laughs> you know when the poop hits the fan and it's the complete opposite you're gonna, you're going to turn into beavis and butt and and so being you know if you know that and you can control it like um and like you said the standing position there's so much that goes into that like 
when you shoot from a standing position, the recoil is so much different. Like when you come back and you're acquiring your target, like you you're getting your butt, you know, pushed back up into the air. Uh, so that's a different feeling to to get a follow on shot. And, um, you know, I, we do have like even the, the swaggers. I just wanted to mention the the 142s and the, the 129s, even though that they don't work standing, one of the unique things is because of that flexibility up front, you can pull those legs back and and tuck it into your belt or your belt loop and and get a, a, a steady position. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I mean, um, like you said, yep. it's not going to be as stable as a, a seated shot, and it definitely isn't going to be as stable as a prone shot, and it most certainly is not going to be as stable as shooting off the bench. But in hunting... You know, I did an ad campaign years ago. It was like show someplace in Colorado would be like closest bench rest, 365 miles. And there's so you're taking what the field throws at you and collecting what you have and putting it all together for the best shot you can possibly make on the animal. And if it isn't good enough and if it doesn't meet your standards, you need to take a breath and wait for another opportunity. Um but one thing I wanted to mention, you, I thought about this, and I don't, I don't know if this is really going to apply to many of the listeners, but I know this is something that I see a lot of times um, over the years of outfitting and guiding, and, and I, I get somebody that shows up, and um, they've got a really expensive rifle, they got a really expensive scope, they've spent all this money, they've shot, and then I'm like, what bullet are you shooting? I don't know, just something, I, whatever they had at the store. And, you know, like you talked about that moment, um, not only training for the shot, like we talked about, you go through all this stuff, you spend this money, time, effort to get in front of that elk or that mule deer that you might not get a tag in this day and age. It's, it's getting hard to draw tags and you're going to flub it because you didn't practice or you're using some cheap ammo that you just bought. I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, Spend the fifteen dollars more a box, and that's where the, you know, tip of the spear is meeting the animal. And there, there's, there's bullets out there. Don't get me wrong. You shoot something with thirty alt six, three hundred mag. That bullet is going to kill stuff, but, but it's the consistency and what that bullet does. And there's a lot of different good bullets out there. Um, but just know what you're shooting and know, right? Because if I've got a an all copper bullet that's going to truck on through, break bone, you know exit i might i might take a might i might aim that towards the shoulder and break some bone if i've got a bullet that's coming apart that's um you know you've got a hornady uh, eldx or or something like that then i probably don't want to hit the shoulder i want to hit behind the sh- i i'm just saying know what your you know know what your bullet does but i like i said most people listen to this are are not but it's probably more like make sure your buddy um, knows what he's shooting and don't let him or her waste an opportunity because this was the cheap ammo that was on the shelf at the you know, feed store. <laughs> Man, that's so true, Josh. Like some of this information is like second nature desk guys that hunt all the time, but, but it, it's also like, there's a lot of guys that don't know about it. And you're right. The, not only the performance of the bullet, but each gun likes a specific load and specific bullet as well, you know? And so you might not even be able to get the groups or accuracy you want, no matter how good your rest is, if you're not mating up that, that ammo to your gun. And so like when I get a new rifle, 
I go out and spend money on on ammo, and I run that ammo and do group testing with that rifle to see which load it likes. And you find like a like a bullet. You know, these guys get really into it with their reloading and their powder and uh, uh, grain size of their bullet. But I, you know, for me, I'll just find like a few different boxes of ammo that I'll run through that gun that I like the performance of the bullet. And all of a sudden, you know, sometimes the gun will shoot all four the same, and sometimes that gun will shoot one horrible and a couple, you know, uh, uh, decent groups, and then one it really gets along with and will just punch groups in there. And so I think it's, again, it just comes down to spending time with your rifle. And it's also, I see guys with really expensive rifles and scopes that don't spend the money like getting a quality bipod set up or getting quality shooting sticks to to shoot off of, you know? And so, and I, oh, I really like your tip about uh, using that bipod and being able to tuck that into your belt to shoot offhand because we are just not that great of shooters offhand. And so if you can get... Uh, any bit of a, a more stable platform like I, I'm going to have to practice that more and get my guys practicing that more to stick that in their belt because it is nice to hunt with that you know 42 inch or to hunt with that bipod that isn't so big and cumbersome and that's also what I like about the quick disconnect too is that I can carry those uh, that my bipod in my pack and then carry my lightweight rifle and then when I get closer I get ready for a shot or I know I'm getting into critters then I attach it and then I'm ready to rock and roll and so I think that's like a great way to go and again it does come down to personal preference. I mean, some guys like to, to only have a bipod that they can shoot prone, you know, and other than that, you know, they're going to try to shoot off their pack. But I, I love that pack off the back arm if I'm going to shoot a seating shot. It it just gets such a, a more stable platform on there. But but your your bipods, your um, like the difference between them two is that spring action tension load that you mentioned it earlier, but also that you can swivel on your target. So if that bull elk keeps walking out, you can stay in that shooting position and swivel four feet to the right or four feet to the left. Right. They don't, you know not all bipods are created equally like the reason yours are so good is like um you know all your experience in shooting in the military and getting so proficient with your weapons is that you saw a need for it and and that's what really separates you from the other ones out there and and shooting in a rifle accurately is just all about that rest you know and and you have good ones tell me about like the the spring tension loaded being able to move the legs out a little bit or shoot downhill like yours i know shooting a lot that yours is drastically different than anything i've ever used you know um there was a guy a couple of months ago who was like we made an instagram post and he was like oh yeah i love your product but you know i wish that basically he coyote hunts i think in canada or, or somewhere really cold and so he's wearing gloves big heavy gloves when he does and he's like the only thing i wish is that you didn't have to it's hard to un adjust the legs with gloves on in the, you know in the heat of the moment and i said well i don't want you to adjust those legs you know that's the beauty and of course it's audio here so i'm gonna have to do a really bad description but if you think about it you know when the legs are out the beauty of having that flexibility is that you can spread the legs out, bring them back together, and changing your elevation of your reticle in your scope and position without making the fine-tune adjustments on screwing the legs and you going, oh, I want this back in four inches or not. Like it's you could do it on the fly with your eye in the scope and your reticle on the target, 
and making these adjustments, but not, you know, you're not taking your eyes off the target. Um, and, and that's, you know, if you, if you go, we, we've got a video on it on our Instagram reel. Um, but that simple stuff right there, when, when it's the heat of the moment, you don't have time to go, okay, I'm going to unscrew this and I need it to be one inch longer. Like, no, we want you to put that radical on the target, move, adjust however you need to and boom, take it down, whatever it is. Um, and so that, that flexibility in the front, you know, it allows you to, to get into a position to, to watch that floating elbow, like you said. And again, like I, it would be great if every time I went hunting, I was just like, I was going to get a nice, you know, like football turf to where I could lay down in the prone and take this really great prone shot where I was able to breathe and squeeze the trigger. And, oh, it's just like a, you know, teddy bears and daisies are out in the field and <laughs> balloons fly up. But it's not going to be that way. I'm going to be laying on granite or grass burrs. The you know, grass is going to, you know, I'm going to look through. I'm going to see the elk and my reticles covered with a sagebrush or grass. So, you know, going through the motion, you know, do I need to do a kneeling position? Do I need to do seated? What, what, obviously if I'm in a seated position, like when I shot my elk, I got caught out in the open. I really wanted to be leaning up against a tree, but that, that wasn't the, the hand that I was dealt that morning. Um, so I leaned forward and, and built a shooting position out of my, my elbows and got my pack involved a little bit. Um, but there's, there's all these different levels of things that you can do that are going to help, um, help make sure the bullet hits, hits exactly where you want to hit. Um, and I, 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 me personally, like you, you talk about the, the quick connect, the disconnect, the quick detach QD 42. That's, that's, that's a preference for me. I am admittedly, I leave my shooting sticks places. So I like it attached to the rifle. Um, I've been known to leave it under a tree or a truck, you know, prior before I worked at Swagger. And, and I think I've told you this story before, like the two years I went to New Zealand, um, I had two of our competitors just before Swagger existed, you know, different one each year. I didn't get to use them cause I had them in my backpack. You know, I had them strapped on the side, but I came around the mountain and boom, there's a tar. I'm like, well, okay, it's go time. Guess I'm going to use this rock. <laughs> so true. And a rock just isn't like a bipod. It's same thing with your pack. You know, whether you're shooting prone, whether you're shooting seated, trying to shoot off your pack, it's never going to be the right height. So you're always trying to angle your pack or shove another jacket in, which is movement <laughs> and time from getting the shot. And I love what you said about adjusting the legs, too. It's like, you know, to make them wider, to make the your point of aim lower is so easy, so little movement, you know, or to, to put them closer together to get a higher point of impact is so easy and so quick where – if you got to reach up with both hands and try to unscrew the legs and adjust them, it's so much movement and so much time. And, and time is so critical when you're getting a shot at an animal to be able to acquire the target and then just to be steady. You know, you, you got the adrenaline racing and like, you know, you first get on that animal. And if that reticle swimming all over the place, there's no way you're going to hit accurately. You know, it's like you, you got to put it in the right place and let it swim and squeeze on the trigger when it's swimming around 
around the vitals where you want to hit. And so tough with that adrenaline, so tough to get like a rock solid rest. And that's, uh, you know, and that's why Swagger wasn't why you invented it and and why you've done so well is, um, you know, gosh, it's just such an asset to us Western hunters, to whitetail hunters, to any hunters, really, you know. So, um, man, that is the difference. Yeah. And, and again, you know, when it comes to that moment, like that's what you want to be prepared for. And, and I mean, we spend all this time getting in shape and doing all this mountain stuff and, you know, drinking mountain ops and, uh, (laughs) doing, doing hiking and things like that. And it's like, but there's this time that it's this heightened moment of, of anxiety that you have to be able to control and the the less things you have stacked against you the more you can control it you know so if i'm able to get in and get in a steady position and i feel good instantly that takes my anxiety down right but if if i'm not my my heart's going to continue to like oh god the elk's going to go away the elk's going to go away and i'm fumbling with my backpack and my jacket and getting frustrated my chances are going they're going down fast man it's so true and i've watched some guys miss really easy shots you know with rests and with you know just because they're not comfortable in that situation they haven't practiced it they don't you know they fall back to their training which they didn't spend much time training you know uh you're you're so right and every successful hunt comes down to making a shot like if you could improve your chances on a hunt with one thing like all those things are important the being in shape the learning terrain the finding critters but Every successful hunt is going to come down to making and executing a shot. And I have watched, I've watched good shooters miss easy shots, shots at a couple hundred yards, shots at 300 yards. Heck, I've watched them miss at 100 yards and empty their gun. Like I have watched a lot of guys that you know are proficient with their rifle at the range get in the field and they can't hit something. And and also. It's like this being able to control your trigger pull. I think uh, a big mistake guys make is they they are unsteady. So the minute that 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 reticle, like the minute that their crosshairs hit the vitals, they punch that trigger, which is the most <clears throat> is so inaccurate. Like it's like the the worst way to execute a shot. And our brain just wants it to happen now. Crosshairs are where they go now. You know where the the correct way to shoot is to be able to to be relaxed and let those crosshairs float as you squeeze on the trigger. Uh, but boy, if, if guys are punching that trigger, uh, you know, they can shoot a whole box of shells at an animal and they're probably not going to hit it. There's going to be dirt flying and it's going to be absolute chaos. And so, man, right. It, and the anxiety, each shot missed, that anxiety goes up. <laughs> it so does. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you need any more anxiety in, in the midst of it, but it does, it goes up. Yeah, I watched. We we just put a there's a a wounded guy that I know, Jeremy Frost. He lives in the Texas Panhandle. We just did a swagger video with with him. He he loves going out and coyote hunting, and he misses this layup shot. Of I mean, it's probably seventy five yards on a coyote, just right right easy shot. He misses. Coyote runs. He 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 tries to get on him. Misses again. But his anxiety, he's able to control it. And you hear him breathe, and then he nails it at like 325 running full tilt. Like, how, you know, <laughs> I did the same thing last year in Oklahoma. Like, 
I had this layup shot. Now it was down, but I mean, it was super easy and I miss and then somehow make a, you know, 350 yard shot on it while it's running across a cliff. Um, you know, and I missed a couple more between then and there, but yeah, even if you do miss, it's, it's okay. Um, you just, something happened. You weren't in the right position. Of course, it's a lot easier to miss an elk. Um, but keeping that anxiety down and, you know, it's not over. Um, no, that's definitely it. It isn't over. Uh, I'm a I'm a good follow up shooter. Like uh, with a bow, if for some reason that first arrow doesn't go where it's supposed to, it's like that animal better not stop again. It's almost like a fighter being hit hit in the, or punched. Like you like you feel like you're in the fight or something. But yeah, it's um you know you there was a guy get... that I do. Uh, he used to hunt at Sierra Vista, and man, he would shoot that first arrow at an elk, and then he was like Legolas from like. Lord of the Rings, like he had another one ready to go. I, I don't even know how he did it. Like it was just always. I was like, <laughs> "How do you do that, man?" <laughs> like you know, it. And, and I mean, it was just a like one fluid motion. It was amazing. But um, yeah, you know, getting a follow up shot with a bow is definitely a lot more difficult. But um, I guess you know, you practice enough and getting you know everything out of the quiver and it goes smoothly. Then yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it it just happens. No matter how much we prepare for these moments, no matter how good we are, you know, there's just variables. Whether it's the range or whether you know, who knows? Animal takes a couple steps and you don't um, uh, redial for it. You know, there's so many different things that can happen. There's so many things going on in that red zone and the adrenaline spiked. And so, man, it can happen to anybody and does happen to everybody. You know, at one point in time or another. And so. Uh, yeah, being able to keep calm and then get a second arrow or get a second shot, you know, a lot of times that's what's going to do it. Or, you know, a lot of times that's the difference between getting the animal or not. If a, if the bullet doesn't hit exactly where you want or the arrow doesn't hit exactly where you want, but that animal stops again, you know, if you can get a second arrow or a second bullet in them, uh, I always say keep shooting until they're down. It's like um, elk are such tough animals and, and deer too, like they – uh, they have this will to survive and to live. And so, man, if you get a chance to put a second shot in, don't second guess it, unless you know that first one's just perfect and they're wobbling or something. But I'm, I'm always one to put a second shot in them. It's funny. Um, we did uh, – my daughter got her first – my oldest got her first coyote um, a couple weeks ago. We were, Oh, how cool. We went down and called him out. And uh, I was trying to sit her up for like a layup, and the coyote didn't quite come out where i wanted it to right so it's like 150 yards she shoots it you know great she hits it shoulders but like coyotes do it keeps rolling around so i tell her to put another bullet in it and she does and and you know it's still kind of fumbling around it's dead but in her mind she just wants it completely dead so she puts another bullet so she shoots three bullets cartridge you know 150 yards out of a seated position and we got people like on Facebook, like, oh, that's horrible. You know, you need to take her to the range before you ever take her hunting again. It should be, you know, one shot, one kill. And it's like, the thing is dead. Like, it's, it isn't a video, but you get it, 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 so many, so much vitriol on, on Facebook and YouTube and whatnot. And a lot of it's not hunters because you get all these guys that have played Call of Duty and they're like, oh, you should do headshots. 
Yeah, because you get 10 more points extra in, in the video game I play. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's most of it's like a bunch of grumpy old men who sh- seems like having a little bit of, uh, ability to comment on Facebook and YouTube is something that should be taken. It, it's, I, it, it's wild. Oh man, um, the, the keyboard warriors are something else, aren't they? Everybody wants to pass judgment on what everybody else is doing. And it's like when you get experience in the field and experience in life, you realize that uh, it's not always a perfect scenario. And if anything, she should be praised for being able to get those follow-up shots, even though the first one was in the right spot, to keep calm and to keep putting bullets down range, you know, in the spot. Like that's nothing yeah. That's nothing but, but – um, uh, 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 quality moves, quality training, quality preparedness from you. Like, um, man, that's amazing. She did what she was supposed to do and in the suffering as quick as she can. But yeah, like, um, people love to pass judgments on, on how far you shoot, where the arrow hits, mm-hmm. where the bullet hits, what, you know, the people just love to like pass this judgment. And, and I don't, I don't know if they just don't have the experience or they're not hunters like you say, but I don't know. It's just I just try not to judge, and it's like, man, uh, I also, when I see a video of something, I want to see the reality of it. Now, you could have edited up that video to make her look real good in one kill and don't show the – or one shot and don't show the other shots, but – uh, I think authenticity is king, and I think sharing that information with guys is crucial, and it's why I share my misses in archery, is I have you know, uh, great success with archery and Western game, but the fact of the matter is, is I miss too. And so if I miss, boy, that's going to be in the video. I'm going to show it, and then guys will just crucify you on a, on a miss or on a shot that isn't quite right where you need a follow-up shot, and it's like – Hey, bud, how long have you been hunting out, the, out in the field? Like, geez, you're going to run into this if you've shot more than one or two animals. Like, this is this is part of hunting. This is reality, and I'm trying to show you the real side of it because you're gonna you're gonna face this sometime in your hunting career and have to know what to do. But yeah, I I just don't that that internet does a lot of good, but man, it it also like uh uh it hides people's identity where they just say things that they wouldn't say to your face, you know, and it it it, it definitely isn't right. It's crazy. Yeah, man, it sure is. If you if you ever want to see like how ridiculous it can get, like um, so at Swaggering Big and J, we used to own the TV show Given the Given Right, and then we kind of sold it off as as Mark, who was one of the co-hosts. He bought Expedition Archery. He kind of wanted to have it and. You know, uh, so we we sold it to them. And Mark's an excellent bow hunter, an excellent bow hunter. He's killed a ton of deer. Kenneth has he's worked for Primos for years. Kenneth is, can outshoot ninety nine point nine 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 percent of archery hunters out there. So what they started doing is they just made reels out of some kills from old shows. And if you go and you look, it's like hundreds. Of people just like, oh my god, too far back, too far. It's like you just watch the animal fall down and die, <laughs> like, and and you're saying it's too far back. Um, you know, I I shot a uh, a buck with a six five RPM at like I think it was like 175 yards, and the bullet was still going through so fast that it blew bone chips out into the the field behind the deer, and. Guys are like, oh, you know, 
this, this, this. And I'm like, how much more dead do you want me to make that deer? It's right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's great. You, you saw his soul come out of his body, like with, with the impact, but it, it isn't enough. And it's like, you get these guys who are like, oh, it's bad. It's like, they don't even understand the angles of archery. And it's, it's wild. I mean, I, I could go on and on about how many, you know, guys, it's just like, if you don't know what you're talking about, man, just shut up. Oh man, yeah, it's like I I don't know, yeah, it's a bull I shot last year, which the film is gonna come out pretty soon, and um, you know, the bull was quartered away hard when I shot him, and so it entered. Right, so you, you know, got aim. Yeah, looks like a gut shot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it hits back, and you know, in the trophy photos of that elk, it's like um, he he's laying there, and you can see that the that the arrow hit back behind the last rib, but it hit the offside shoulder, and the bull went a hundred yards and died almost instantly. But it's all of a sudden on the on uh, social media, everybody wants to judge that shot or put in some negative comment. It's like. But you don't even understand what what happened here. There was a quarter to way shot. It was a perfect shot, and and you're gonna judge it because where you see the hole in the photo and tell me that you know I shot that bull back or something or that I did something wrong. It's just crazy, man. But you know you can't pay attention to the noise too much, and you just gotta realize like um, you know it's like uh uh, uh the nobody that's um uh nobody that's a quality hunter or nobody that's a, a better archer or better shooter is going to make a negative comment because they know they've been there before and they know how the real world works and so you kind of take it with a grain of salt too it's like okay you guys say and judge whatever you want to do it doesn't matter to me people uh people like the authenticity like real hunters like to see that or know what went down you know and so uh you just got to kind of ignore the noise but yeah it is it is pretty wild on the internet how you can get so much uh, uh, negative energy around something that 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 works so well. It, it, it's like the bull is we, dead. He's laying there. It's like <laughs> what 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 more do you want me to do? <laughs> we we used to always joke about you know you'll see in the whitetail world a lot and there's this meme of like this really nerdy dude like sitting in his mom's basement and it's a you know it would say like never shot a big buck in his life uh, claims every deer he sees on Facebook high fence you know and we used to have that all the time it's like we somebody'd shoot like a 110 inch deer and they'd be like oh high fence like okay so you really think somebody went and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to build a high fence to shoot a 110 inch deer like what why is it's it's, it's just hilarious it's like <laughs> if they built a high fence to shoot a 110 inch deer then they're doing something wrong like you know, it's 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 just funny, man, and and I think you see the same thing with with these guys getting on here, and it's just like, I'm sorry that your life is so sad, you know, but it's it's uh, like you said, you just take it with a grain of salt and kind of move on, and you know, but we we do see quite a bit. Um, I I've called, I have talked to Scott a little bit about this. He, and I know y'all see it at Eastman's as well, but there's like fake profiles of people that are made to look like they're hunters and then they get on these platforms kind of commenting trying to oh i'm a hunter and this is wrong or i'm a hunter you but you should never have a semi-automatic rifle and there's you know, things like that that they're trying to push little but yeah I, i've come across quite a few of these fake profiles um it's it's pretty wild 
Oh, for sure. It's not the real world either. It's like uh, it's a part of um, our business and, and also to be tied socially to uh, friends and people, you know, across the country. I made great friendships through social media, guys that I've never met in person that I have this connection with. And all of a sudden we're on a hunt together or they share some information that helps me out. So there's a lot of good that comes from it. But, yeah, I just kind of realize it's it's not the the real world that, you know, people won't talk to you in person like they do on social media. So a grain of salt and it's necessary for uh for my business and for the podcast and and promotion of things but i try not to uh let it ruin my day for sure because there's always somebody and there's a lot of positivity out there too the majority of comments are all positive too i don't know why as human nature we're drawn towards those negative ones or when you, when you first start social media it almost bugs you to your core when you see one of those comments or negativity and you almost want to get in this argument with them and tell them what's right but you're never going to change their mind it doesn't do any good so you know the the longer that i'm in that space the more that i it's just like water off a duck's back it's not the it's not the real world or it's not um uh the majority of it is positive and don't put so much weight in the negative comments because who knows what that person is going through that day too i mean um they're, they're probably not killing it in life if they're on my social media making negative comments or trying to judge what <laughs> i'm doing you know so it's like it's it's fine you know we'll just work through it but um man josh um it's always fun getting you on the line and on the podcast to talk. It's like our conversations are always different and you guys are absolutely killing it over there at Swagger. And um, so guys go check out the social media. You heard Josh mention uh, the videos that they put out and the education around shooting that they're putting out both on Facebook and Instagram. And um, man, you guys are doing and, and great YouTube. work. Yep. YouTube, YouTube well. allows us to get a little bit more, um, you know, Instagram and Facebook. Sometimes I get pushback from from hunting videos. So there's we'll, we'll have more hunting content on YouTube. Oh, uh, right on. Well. Is that on uh, Swagger? Yes. Yes. OK, cool. Yeah. Go check out the YouTube bunch of good videos. In fact, I need to go on there and check that out as well, Josh. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've got some more hunts and things that we'll be putting up there. And um, it's it's. For right now, I, I don't think YouTube's going to throttle us because they, there's so much, uh, you know, in the way of shooting games and things like that to where their algorithms. I mean, it's it drives a lot of traffic to YouTube, and so I, I think for for now we're it's a it's a good platform that we can still air stuff on. I know other people have have issues getting their hunting content up there, but um, it's been pretty good for us. Good. Um, which hunts do you have coming up on YouTube? Uh, we've got some more um, predator stuff coming, um, and and I'll I'll probably wait till we get closer into like August to to start putting up some of the the you know deer and other big game hunts. It's just nobody's thinking about hunting right now. You throw you throw something up like that, they're they're too busy thinking about trout or tur spring turkeys or you know shed hunting. Um, so I, I generally try to wait till around August to start putting some of that stuff up. Um, I, I was going to ask you, do you do you have anything big planned for this fall or? Yeah, yeah, um, I do. Yeah, it's going to be a full season. I'm starting to fill up my schedule now, but I have this, um, I have a BC goat hunt lined up uh, with my bow in August, which I'm super stoked at. I drew a Montana tag way back in 2012, uh, able to arrow a nice goat. But yeah, I'm going with one of my buddies that um, 
is a guide for this outfitting business. So able to work out a tag with the outfitter and then pretty much get to team up with my buddy. So my buddy can bow hunt. I can bow hunt so we can kill two billies in this uh, gnarly range in BC. And then if we fill out early, he's got a stone sheep tag with his bow because he's a resident there. So I can tag along on this stone sheep hunt with him. So that's going to be a pretty amazing experience. And then I always get my Montana tag. So I've got Montana elk, antelope, mule deer. In fact, we're hunting spring bears right now as the grass is a little far behind. Uh, but I know I always have those tags. And then just trying to add a couple tags to fill my season, uh, a late season mule deer rut hunt and then um and then just see if i can get um get get really lucky in one of these draws and add another tag to it but yeah it's going to end up being a full season what about you what do you got coming up um i there still is a possibility of montana um it's a long story but um i didn't draw kansas uh i know that um and i i don't know i i was thinking about maybe trying to to put in for i need to get on it uh what's new mexico's uh deadlines are coming up soon right yeah i um i think they already came through Ooh. for new mexico yep yeah i better i need to get when i get off here i need to go get on tag hub and see what i can put in for yep for sure and uh montana too they do have uh the waiting list on there you may be able to get something there pick up a tag mm -hmm. there and um yeah a lot of these states will have secondary tags that come up but yeah just give me a shout uh off the podcast anytime and happy to help i can look up some of those dates for you as well some of them are i mean it's it's you know just talking about like kansas it's um they've now changed it like um I think it's three times now in four years, the whole process. Like, so it, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, I know all these state agencies are like, Oh yeah, this is going to make it easier, but uh, it doesn't always work like that. Does it? No, it doesn't. It's getting tougher and tougher to get tags. And so I think it's just a matter of when we do get tags is really spending the time to, to hunt these places, you know? So as things change, we just have to change and adapt as well. And, um, yeah, I know every year I work pretty hard to fill up my schedule to make sure I'm hunting somewhere, which is good. But yeah, those premium tags, they just don't come around every day. That's for sure. Yeah. I, um, like I said, I, I'd hope to, to get one of those leftover tags, uh, that, we were just talking about and if i don't you know uh, i'll probably try to add a mid midwestern hunt like to oklahoma or something like that yeah i'm i'm sure you'll keep busy and fill your season and uh keep busy with those kids as well i know you love getting them out there in texas and so uh yeah no doubt you'll be hunting somewhere josh all right man well um uh, it was great talking to you just let us let me know when you want to get on again maybe closer to season and uh, good luck with any draws you got left. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks again. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Um, always a fun conversation with Josh Kinzer, and I really appreciate his support here at the podcast. Um, he's been a, a sponsor for years now and uh, become friends with him and really enjoy our conversations. So uh, go make sure to check out Swagger Bipods and uh, also Shooting Sticks if you're in the market for that. It really helps to get a solid hold uh, and just makes you a better rifle shot. So make sure to go check out that. Uh, check out our other sponsors for today's show. Uh, again, Juniper Mountain Coffee, a new sponsor here, um, but just great guys and the absolute top-notch roasts. I'm so impressed by them and will be using it this season. Uh, so go check out those guys. Check out Onyx. 
and um, Black Ovis and Camo Fire. And uh, over at Eastman's, just ran over to the office, uh, did a one day, so you have about eight or nine hours of driving to go back and forth and um, sat in some meetings and um, got some stuff figured out. So uh, all good there, just really busy. Had to race home and um, pour a concrete slab this morning. Uh, 6 a.m. we poured that, and the concrete is now finished. It's 2 o'clock, so um, jumping on to get this podcast recorded. I'm also going to record a solo one on that Hawaii trip and just in-depth bow hunting content for you guys. So I'll put that out this week as well. Uh, Trying to make a a big push here before hunting season to get you guys that pertinent information that um, sets you up for success this season in the woods. So uh, I'll get that out as well. And, um, yeah, check out everything we do over here at Eastman's, um, working hard to bring you guys some good content. So yeah, you can check that out and, um, man, running's been going good. Uh, training's been going good. Bo is shooting absolutely lights out. Uh, now it's just a matter of getting these, um, responsibilities done and getting some work done and making sure that I'm covered there and, um, be able to cut these legs loose and, um, go on some good adventures. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. I think my gear's all dialed in pretty much at this point. Um, probably need to run some jerky through the dehydrator so I have some food to keep me alive during hunting season. But um, we'll get to that and um, also make myself a list of things that I that I need to get done here. But um, it's coming quick. I got some good August hunts, and um, so I absolutely can't wait. Stoked beyond belief. So uh, keep working hard towards your goals, you guys. Um, Hard work does pay off like this. Bow hunting is a journey, and we're all at different points in our journey. And um, so, man, I mean, if you keep working at your craft and working to improve your skill sets, it's just going to give you a better chance come season. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm the proof for sure. Uh, committed myself, you know, um, entirely to this bow hunting for the last 25 years or so. And, uh, it, you know, success doesn't come all at once or instantly, or it doesn't even come when you expect it to, but eventually when you work on your skill sets and you become a, a good overall all around bow hunter, uh, you just, um, show up to that trailhead and just have a better chance at arrowing a trophy critter. So, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm putting in the work now to hopefully reap the benefits, reap the rewards, um, come hunting season. So keep working hard towards your goals. You guys, thanks so much for the support of this podcast, the reviews on iTunes shares on social media. It really helps. And, um, I really appreciate it. So, um, thanks you guys. And, uh, with that, check in with you next week.